morning we're going to be in Matthew 13, starting with verse 1. And the last time the sermon was titled, Do You Know the Way? The way, the path, the road. Every person who is alive or has ever lived is either on a path towards heaven or they're not. Jesus also expressed to us that that word has a double meaning. He said, I am the way, the path, the road. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you either know the way or you don't know the way. And if you don't, you can actually switch roads to get on the right road. Today, the parable is the parable of the soils. And we're actually going to take it in two sermons. I do have to say this, that next Sunday, the Lord's teachings are going to pop. So if you are here now, which you are, uh, be great if you could come back. Can't tell you what to do, but that's when the crescendo of his teaching on the parable of the soils really comes to life. For those of you that are not familiar with the scripture, the word parable comes from the Greek word parabole, which was transliterated into English almost in an exact form. It means cast alongside, and what Jesus would do in the parables, he would take a, an illustration that everybody could understand, and he would illustrate a spiritual truth from that. Jesus is going to speak about the parable of the soils. And really, he's going to use an agrarian illustration to, to tell us or to show us the receptivity of people's hearts towards God's word, especially salvation. In Mark 4.13, Jesus said to the disciples after speaking this parable, not only to the disciples, but to the multitudes, he said, do you not understand this parable? I tell you the truth that if you, in order to understand all the parables, you have to understand this parable. So this parable was taught early in the Lord's ministry, and it's helpful for us as Christians to understand the rest of the parables that we understand the parable of the soil. And again, it helps us to understand the human heart and how it receives spiritual truth and what the human heart does with that. Now, that's a funny word, heart. Well, ancient cultures, the Hebrew word is leb, the uh, Greek word is cardia, for heart. And we know that if we're excited, good or bad, we feel it in our chest. So when these cultures talk about heart, they're not talking about the four-chamber cardiac muscle. They're talking about other things. But before we think that we've really gotten so much better than these other cultures, we still hear heart, right? In, in music, you're breaking my heart, my heart longs for you. We still say it in American culture. People still use it in our vernacular. But heart really expresses the personality of a person. And it's comprised of a few things, the intellect. Right? A person's intellect goes into how they have a lifestyle, how they choose things. The will. Right? Some of us are strong-willed. Some of us, our kids are strong-willed. Some of us as kids were strong-willed, and now we're getting payback. But the will, you know, it's, it's an exercise of what we want to do. Also, the sensibilities is part of the personality or the heart. The sensibilities, the, the emotions. How do we react in other ways outside of analytical to certain things? So it's pretty neat how all these things come together and we have the essence of a person. Almost 8 billion people on the planet, every person's unique. All these factors are like an equation with each different person. I think that differently than you think, than that person thinks. But what Jesus is going to do, and this is powerful, he's going to give us, uh, because God has made humans so that we can't reach, read each other's thoughts, which is a good thing. We have some privacy in our brains, in our minds, in our hearts. 
But Jesus was going to give the disciples a blow-up version, or an MRI, so to speak, of each person's personality and their receptivity to the things of God, which is pretty neat. And I think that as we go through this, we're going to learn a lot about human behavior, but we also may learn something about ourselves. So let's jump in. Verse 1. In the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. So this is where Jesus starts. It's a typical day in the Lord's ministry, probably a beautiful day. He's out by the Sea of Galilee. The water's beautiful. The weather's beautiful. Oh, I'd like to be there right now. Uh, But (laughs) there's all these towns that surrounded the sea. Good acoustics and crowds would naturally gather. Now, the disciples, at times we find, seem impressed by the crowds. But Jesus made sure he helped them not to be too impressed by the crowds because there was a lot of people in the crowds that maybe didn't have good reasons or they were just curiosity uh, or different things. They were just, you know, seekers. But back then and today, people came to Jesus and people come to church or ministry today for a variety of reasons. And I'll go through some of those. The first group... Maybe those that are looking to be entertained. And today we see a lot of entertainment in church. One thing I didn't see about Jesus is he wasn't an entertainer. He just gave the word of God. Uh, People today are curious. They They look for some need that needs to be met in their lives. And some of them are selfish or shallow. And there's not much reciprocity. There's not much relationship. There's just, I want, I need, I want. The second group are those that may be takers or opportunists or people who come for nefarious reasons. They want something out of ministry, but they have no interest at all in the things of God. And the third group, those that genuinely want a relationship with God. They want to know more about their creator. They want to come to hear a teaching so they can be fulfilled spiritually. Where are you this morning? Are you in that third group? I know for me... Even when I study, I love to study this stuff because I want to know more. I want to read the Bible. And I can tell you, my devotional life actually became better as a pastor because it was my role now. It was something that I had to continue to go into the Scripture, pull it out, pull out the application, and teach it. So it's a pleasure for me as well. Verse 3, I'll read it again. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So at first it appears that Jesus is telling a story that back then in that agrarian culture, everyone would be experts at. Everybody knew how to farm. Very different today. Some of us wouldn't know what to do with dirt and soil, and we don't have a green thumb. But back then, it was survival. Your kids were taught it. Their kids were taught it. Some might have laughed at the simplicity of what Jesus was saying. Really, Jesus? 
Is this what you came to tell us? And even today, we can, we can fast forward 2,000 years. There are some that they want an answer quickly. They want to be entertained quickly. And if it doesn't come quick enough, they walk away. You have to hold their attention. But part of it really needs to be a character issue. Do we want our attention held? Do we want to wait? Do we want to understand? If I went to, uh, especially as a new believer, if I went to a service and I didn't understand something, I would send an email, I would stay to the last person and talk to the pastor and ask him, what did that mean? Because I wanted to know about the things of God. Many stayed and hungered for spiritual truth. Are you in that category? Four most important symbols in this chapter is the seed, the soil, the sower, and the crop. I'll go through them. Number one, the seed is God's word, or as Jesus puts it in verse 19, and we'll get to it, the word of the kingdom, especially as how it relates to salvation and a relationship with God. So today, I brought some seed with me. (laughs) And my wife will tell you, in the springtime, I, I tell you what, when I read this, I laughed because this is me in the spring. Grass, grass, grass. I'm throwing seed everywhere. Grass got to grow. Grass got to grow. You know, you marry me. We have one of those crazy neighbors. That would be me. But I just, I love the green. I want to see the green everywhere. And actually, if I hold up the seed, it's really tiny. You can't even see it. Even, just lost it. <laughs> yeah, that's how small it is. Even the guy in the first row probably couldn't see it. But seed. And like the, the word of God, seed is a living thing. It has potential. It can become a bu- beautiful flower garden or an impressive forest depending on the seed. right? And Jesus was speaking about the seed as the word of God. And, you know, he would just throw the seed and it would go everywhere. Right? Just scatter, scattergun approach. The second thing that Jesus spoke about was the soil. This is the heart or the personality of each person. And it's comprised, again, of the intellect, the sensibilities, the emotion, the will, the personality. Soil, like the human heart, and this, this is some black soil. Usually the blacker the better. There's more nutrients in it. There's different types of soil. Just like people's hearts are different when it comes to their receptivity to the things of God. But soil supports the growth of the seed. It acts as a substrate or a medium for that growth. Soil on its own can't do anything, but when you put some seed into it and you give it some time under the right conditions, each seed is an embryonic plant, all of a sudden there's growth. And you can, especially some of these massive trees, 10 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you're looking up, and it's an incredible girth, and you're looking down at the soil, and the soil's still there, and you say to yourself, that's a miracle, right? Sometimes we should put our technology away. Just take a walk outside. It's good for the human psyche, and see the beautiful things that God has created and how naturally things happen that we take for granted. So this is really a miracle when you take literal good soil and seed and give it time, and there's growth. It's beautiful to watch. You ever see the time-lapse photography? And they, they have a camera on it like for a few weeks or months, and you just see the thing go, and it takes off. It happens slowly over time, but this is what's going on. And the sower. Well, the sower was initially Jesus Christ. But what did Jesus do? He trained his disciples. It was a training program. His disciples, his apostles, 
You know, he died for our sins, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and they carried on his word. They carried on what was known as the church. So you had, the, you had Christ, you had the disciples, and then, of course, us as Christians. Right? We want to give the word of God. I'm doing that right now as I'm speaking to you. You might do that tomorrow at work. I don't know. But what is the motivation for giving the word of God, for sowing those seeds? And the motivation is one word. It's love. You know, 25 years I lived as a heathen. I did nutty things. And I did reap what I sowed in a lot of negative ways. Then I became a Christian and my eyes were open. I'll never go back to that old life. But I want everybody else to have what I have. Check this out. You know, I just, just you hear people on TV, maybe some celebrities or some politicians, and even the people I don't particularly care for and I could say I don't like, I'd like to see them get saved too. It's better for everybody, especially if our ruling class becomes saved and they actually were more concerned about us than padding their bank accounts. So sowing those seeds, the sower, we become a sower when we start to understand and grasp the word of God and we want others to have that as well. Four, a crop or fruit, as the Bible says. Okay, if we could put up image one, and we can look at the, basically the three soils that Jesus speaks about. This is by the wayside. Nothing's growing there. All right, we'll talk about that more next Sunday. This is the stony places. Too many stones, a little bit of soil, not much happening there. And this is the, the thorns and the thickets and the weeds and... Um, Unfortunately, the, the soil or the seed is competing with other things for its nutrition and its growth. And then the fourth is the good soil. And you can see something spring up, and there's life, there's growth. Okay? But each soil represents a different type of person. Jesus looks at all of humanity, and he says, this type of person, this type of person, this type of person. If we go to the second image... And basically, it's a picture of each type of person, and you can see their heart opened up, and you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail now. I just want to give you a taste of what we're going to be covering next Sunday, uh, the stony places, the thorns, the thickets, the weeds, and the, the good crops. See, he's smiling. He's happy because he loves God, and you know, everything's going pretty good there. But the fruit or the crop or the growth keeps coming up. We covered this in Matthew 7. We covered this in John 13, and we're going to cover this in this parable of the soils. The growth is very important. So we continue. Verse 10. And the disciples came to him, and, you know, they had a lot of questions, as I would and you would too. You know, if you were walking with Jesus, he was saying some things. It was, it was heavenly. It was spiritual. It was enigmatic. It was all these things. And they would often, and I love the humanity of them, they would often come to him and ask them. He says, they say to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, now I'm going to, these two next two verses actually come, he's quoting an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, quote, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, 
Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes, they have closed. That's key. God didn't close their eyes. They closed their own eyes. Personal responsibility when it comes to spiritual things. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their heart and turn. So that I should heal them. So what's God's goal? Healing. The primary goal that God has for humanity is to heal us of our sin. Because we could do all the good works we want. We could have all the letters of commendation from people and charities. When we get to heaven, if we don't know Jesus Christ and don't have a relationship, our sins are not dealt with and we don't get to go to heaven. So it's very simple. God says back in the Old Testament and repeated in the New, I want to heal people. I want them to be healed. I want my prodigals to return. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know how fortunate are we are, people? How fortunate we are to have the Bible, which is not a book. It's 66 different scrolls, vellum, parchments. In, in several different languages over a course of 2,500 years. Yes, today we've taken all of those things and bound them and put them in the same language and put pretty pages and borders on leather and inscriptions, and we have the Bible. But the Bible is a network of all these 66 books, many of them prophetic books. So Isaiah would prophesy something. Jeremiah would prophesy something. Habakkuk would prophesy something. And they just said, you know what, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And they would say it. And they would say these things, not completely understanding what they were doing, but they were obedient because 100, 1,000, 2,000 years later, then it would come to fulfillment. We get to see that. So Jesus said even the prophets were being obedient, but they didn't have the full picture of salvation. To me, that's mind-boggling. And we live in a what's-new society. What's the new thing? What's the new distraction? But I tell you what. Just like I talked about nature, if we get our heads in the scripture and really start studying it, we will be blown away. But God's not cheap, and he's not going to cheapen himself. We have to put the time into it. So there's a few things that are happening here. And I'm not going to go into great detail because I actually covered this in intro to the parables when we started the parable, so you can get that if you missed it. But this seems to be a curt and cavalier statement by the Lord. Some read this, and they're a little taken aback. Well, that doesn't seem very nice. That's not the Jesus I've heard about. Well, let me explain. When you look at Isaiah, Isaiah ministered in the 8th century BC, so roughly 800 years before Jesus came to earth in the form of a man. Isaiah sees the glory of God. He's blown away by the glory of God. Right? God says, I need some people to minister for me. Not that he needs, but he would desire it. And Isaiah goes, well, I just saw the glory of God. I'll go. So Isaiah, he goes. But Isaiah asks for little details. Okay, I got this ministry, and we see ministries today, and some of them are very glamorous. And Isaiah has some questions. You know, what's my ministry going to be like? You know, am I going to go to Hawaii? Am I going to go to the Bahamas? And God basically says, that was me, by the way. He didn't ask that. <laughs> but he does say that his ministry will have very little results. Right? He's going he's gonna to preach. He's going to give the word. And people are going to be like, eh, Sort of like New Jersey, you know what I'm saying? Right? Oh, I got a lot of response from you there. The people are going to have hard hearts, but there will be a few that are a remnant. Don't try to find the goodness in, in, in the big masses and the crowds. The Bible says that it's in the remnant. It's in the small. 
It's in the few that say, when everybody leaves, you know what? I want to know more about my God. Let me just say this, and I'm going to speak to you as an insider so I don't get a, thro- a, a shoe thrown at me or anything like that. I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Staten Island, um, and I went to college in New Jersey, and I've been in, living in New Jersey ever since. So I'm not speaking as an outsider. I'm speaking as an insider. This area is hard. It really is. People have hard hearts. Something about the Northeast. And I find it funny when my wife and I will go to dinner or we'll go out and we'll have a waiter or a waitress that's from like the South or the Midwest or the West Coast. And I can tell by the accent. And I'm like, so um, how long have you been in New Jersey? <laughs> and, and they'll say, and I'm like, so what do you think of New Jersey? And they, they, I, they all have the same look, like what should I say? I'm like, no, 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 be, be, be free. Some of them, a lot of them say, I just can't wait to go back home. People are mean here. The people are hard here. Um, not, n- nobody here, of course. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? This is, and I can tell you, as a Christian, when you go out into the world and you try to love people, sometimes you're just being nice. And, you know, what do you mean you want to help me with my bag? Whack! And you get hit in the head. You try to do a good deed, and you'll pay for it sometimes. But it doesn't mean that we should stop doing it. You see, Isaiah continued to minister, even though the people had hard hearts. Now, others, I find, you got the hard-hearted people, you got the shallow people. Again, they're looking for entertainment. They're looking for the excitement. They're looking for the wow. Um, and even when it comes to Christianity, they just want to be excited. They want to be, you know, but that's what we see. There was also, whether, <laughs> whether Isaiah's day or the Lord's day or in New Jersey today, there's this use it or lose it principle. So the little that a person has, they're going to lose. But the, 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 what a person does have, they're going to get an increase. That actually sounds very unfair. If you apply, apply that to economics, the poor are going to get poorer and the rich are going to get richer. This isn't economics. This isn't American culture. This isn't socialism talk. This is a spiritual thing. And what it means is that, and we'll see this next Sunday, that God's word comes in, person maybe entertains it a little bit, then unconcerned. They don't follow up. Eventually, eventually I'll get to it. Can I tell you, I've done a lot of funerals, and everybody usually ends up the same way, in a little box or a big box, depending on if you're cremated. And morgues and funeral homes are filled with people that eventually we're going to get to God. And that's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. We're all still alive here. So this is something that we can take and actually do something with it. So basically, for those that maybe were the, the soil with the, with the seed on the wayside and the birds pluck it up, you know, didn't get around to it, didn't care. Those that actually had something and had a desire like the disciples, does it mean that the disciples were great people and that uh, God showed favoritism? Absolutely not. You can see through the, through the Gospels how they still messed up, how they still sinned, how they still had to be rebuked by the Lord. But you know what? They had an interest in knowing more about the things of God. So we have to look at that. This is almost like a, a use it or lose it principle. And if you go to the gym, you understand. Like if I do a body part and two months later I think I'm going to do the same weight, it just doesn't happen. I'm going to end up hurting myself. If you have a talent and you don't practice it, and two months go by or three months, somebody else is going to beat you in that talent. So this is a similar principle in that when you, when you get the things of God, 
do we just keep putting it on the shelf? Well, I got, I got midterms, you know. I, I got, I'm, I'm applying to college. I, I'm going for my doctorate. Uh, I'm going for a promotion. I'm, I'm, I just have a new boyfriend or girlfriend. And this is what people do. God just keeps getting pushed on the back burner. Are we like the disciples? So whatever is going on in your life, you still have a hunger for the things of God. You didn't put them on the back burner, right? Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right now, you're hearing the word of God. And, and I'm looking around and I see different people over the last few months who have come up to receive Jesus at the end because it was the word that stimulated them spiritually. God drew them and they took hold of it and said, I want to be saved. I want to know the Lord. And they responded to that with their feet and coming up to the front. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 basically says that when God's word goes forth, even if we see, and this is something that pastors have to tell themselves when we see the hardness, when we see those that seem on fire for the Lord in January and by April, like a gym membership, they're just, they just, where are you with God? What? You know, they just, it's non-existent. Their desire, their hunger for him, it's completely fizzled out. This isn't a gym membership. This is eternal. Okay? And what Isaiah 55 says, that when God's word does go forth, some will be hardened by it. They'll just keep resisting God. And then some, it'll, it'll help them to develop more fruit. The same word that does two different things in two different people. And that's what Jesus is speaking about. He said to them, blessed are your eyes, for they see. And again, it doesn't mean that they mastered it. It means they just had a hunger for it. I'll tell you again, when I first became a Christian, I knew zero. And I was annoying to my Christian friends because I would call them at 11 o'clock and say, I just read something, I don't understand it. That was me. But eventually, God helped me to grow and he helped me to understand, right? Every person in this room is either going to be hardened by the word or they're going to be softened by the word. I want to read the rest of this. He says, therefore, therefore, hear the parables of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives seed on stony places this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. You see why emotions, and please, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Sicilian, okay? I'm emotional, I'm, I'm passionate, that's me. But I can't act on my emotions because here, the person immediately receives it with joy. Of course, it's the things of God. We're going to receive it with joy. But look what happens. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles and the person walks away. Hey, I didn't sign up for this. What's this Christianity thing? I thought life was supposed to be easier. Well, let me look at that contract again that I signed with God, right? But he immediately receives it with joy and people do that. They'll even seek out churches where there's so much excitement and running around and waving the flags. That's their idea of a good time Sunday morning. And then they come home and they're, but what did you learn? I don't know, but it was really exciting. Right? You see what I'm saying? Don't let your emotions fool with you. Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. 
But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, depending on the person, depending on the ministry, depending on the commitment level. And again, I want to encourage you, if you're a new believer, don't be upset by this. Because it, it's a, that's why we say the word baby Christian. It's like you're, it's, Jesus said to be born again. It doesn't mean put born again on your church and say, well, look, I'm going to heaven. It means that it's got to be in the heart. We're reborn spiritually, and we, just like as a baby. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I, I asked my mother when she gave birth to me. I didn't run around the hospital room. I mean, I was helpless. I couldn't see. I couldn't understand. I couldn't talk. I couldn't walk. I was a baby. When you become born again of the Spirit, you, you need somebody in your life to help to guide you and to help to take these things and, and learn, these building blocks. The Apostle Paul says, the milk of the word and then the meat of the word, but the milk has to come first, right? Incredible allusions that the Lord uses, the Apostle Paul uses, they're brilliant as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. And this parable may be playing out right now in this very church. Now, I don't know. Again, God has put a skin, he's put a, a thick frontal bones, and, and I can't see what's going on in your head. But you know, and the Lord knows. Before we close, and let me capitalize on the Lord's concept of sowing, because sowing also leads to reaping. And we're going to cover that next Sunday. Spiritually speaking, every person who has ever lived has sown and reaped something. Okay, Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, do not be deceived. Why does the Bible say that? Because sometimes we deceive ourselves. We believe our own propaganda. Look at social media. You, you look at people's social media sites, you think that they were the king of, or the queen of the United States or the world. Don't believe your own propaganda. I won't believe mine. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We can't fool him. For whatever a person sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh, just the things of the flesh, hunger, thirst, feelings, whatever, will reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. What are you sowing in your life? What am I sowing in my life? And I'll tell you this, and I won't go into too much detail, but in my college days, I went to Rutgers, New Brunswick, big nightlife, bars everywhere. When I look back and I have memories, I think, it's not even me. Who is that person? Who stole my body for 25 years? You know what I'm saying? Um, And I reaped things that were not good, and they were hurtful to me and others. I'll never go back there. It's amazing. I'll be 50 this year. It's almost perfectly 25 years and 25 years. I've literally lived two lives. It's amazing. But back then, I reaped what I've sown. I'm surprised anybody still liked me from back then. I'm surprised my mom hasn't disowned me at this point. But it's a different life the last 25 years. Hosea 8, 7 says that some have sown to the wind and then have reaped the whirlwind. And that just means that you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. You sow to the things of God, you're going to reap the things of God. Right? Proverbs 6.19 says, A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. I tell you what, you see this a lot in blogs and social media. People are just trashing people all the time. And some of them call themselves Christians, right? But some people sow discord. You keep sowing discord, 
You keep ripping people off financially. You keep doing things and hurting people and saying you're going to be there and not. Eventually, it all comes back on you. And it's not pretty when it happens. It's not pretty. Is your heart good soil that God can work with? Well, I'll tell you this. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he, believe it or not, allowed people, not angels, fallen people to continue his church. And for 2,000 years, there's been enough sowing and reaping in the church that the church is still here. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Right? So there's been some faithful people over the last 2,000 years, and that's why we're still here. Thankfully empowered by God's Holy Spirit. But my question to you is, is your heart good soil? Is my heart good soil that the Lord can work with? Can the seed grow in our hearts? Anyone can turn their lives around. Why not you today? I just would encourage you, please, (laughs) uh, join us next Sunday for the conclusion of the parable of the soils. Let's pray.